because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? Please be seated. Let's pray and ask God to help us uh, as we interact with this text today. And Tito, if you wouldn't mind, just turn that up a little bit. It's, I, I'm having a hard time hearing myself up, up, up fractionally. Lord, we thank you so much for your word today. Thank you for the privilege that's been ours already. And now we get to look at the Bible. We get to see what you have for us. For some, this might be a brand new text. For others of us, it might uh, be something we've heard and thought about and and, and possibly even forgotten. Uh, We don't uh, know what you have exactly for us, but we know it's good, and we pray your Holy Spirit helps us as we think and pray and interact with your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the text this morning is a continuation of last week. Now we've said in the text, um, whenever it says, you know, the Jews this, the Jews that, the Jews this, the Jews that, um, don't forget that the Bible was written by Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish, the disciples are Jewish, the Christians are Jewish, it's a Jewish faith. We're not knocking Jewish people. Uh, Then I have said, it's not just, so, so I've said it's, Think of it as the Jewish religious leaders. And I felt pretty good about that. And then this week I'm thinking they were more than just the Jewish religious leaders. They were the cultural leaders of their day. Because of that culture, they controlled everything. Um, uh, That's why it was so hard to get kicked out of the the temple, if if you did, because uh, marriages, births, social lives, weddings... Everything revolved around that temple. And so for us to understand and make a better application to our life today, think of them as not just religious leaders, 
who were Pharisees and then think of the most hyper-fundamentalist person you can think of. Don't do that. Think of the people who are controlling the culture in which we all must live and work and, and breathe and think and, and, and receive entertainment and read. Think of it in that way. And Jesus is talking to these cultural leaders who controlled religion and everything else. And he's saying, you must know me. You have to. Uh, he's defending himself. They were angry at him. They said he's making himself equal with God. And so he's describing himself. And he says, listen, I can tell you all about myself. And you're not going to listen to me. That there are more witnesses to who I am than just even my words. And he gives them a list, and, and I've identified five. You, you will identify the same five, saying, these are witnesses to me, who I am, Jesus Christ. Um, he's saying, since you obviously don't trust me, I want to tell you to take the word of God the Father, whose work I do. And for good measure, I'll throw in more witnesses. The word of God really is all we need. The word of God must be enough. Jesus did us a favor in showing us that one way we can please God is to imitate him by looking at God's word and God's life and, and doing, what, uh, doing what Jesus did and how he responded to, to God's word. Listen to, listen to Calvin on this. Uh, Calvin said it this way, and it's been said over and over again, and I could say it, I just like the way it was written 500 years ago and translated to us. I, it had some impact. Listen to this. Calvin said, in looking at Jesus, saying, don't take my word, take God's word for it. He said this. Let us therefore set it down as certain and undoubted that whatever is from God is right and true, and that it is impossible for God not to be true in all his words, just and right, in all his actions. We are likewise reminded that the only rule for acting well is to undertake nothing but by the direction and commandment of God. And if after the, this the whole world should rise against us, we shall still have this invincible defense that he who follows God cannot go astray. Uh, we have to say, no matter what, I'm going to do my best to follow God. I'm going to do my best to understand what God's word says, and that's how I'm going to live. Uh, yesterday at the men's group, we were talking about uh, God's leading, and it was very, very good. Um, it was, we're using an R.C. Sproul book uh, on those Saturday mornings, but he talked about there's hidden things that belong to God that you're not going to know. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. Uh, how do you know God's will, what to do? He says, there's a decree will, a decretive will is, is, is the, the phrase that the theologians use. God has his decrees and does his things. Uh, the focus for us should be on what is the preceptive will of God, not perceptive, like not what do we understand, but the precepts. Um, I can't tell you whether to buy this house from Scripture. I can maybe have you ask some questions. We don't know. Take this job, not take this job. 
questions you're going to ask for yourself, Ryan, as you're looking for a job. But boy, we can all say, I know what the preceptive will of God is. I know I'm supposed to uh, love my wife. I know I'm supposed to respect my husband. I know I'm supposed to uh, pay my taxes. I know I'm supposed to be uh, give an honest day's work for an honest day's wage. I know I'm supposed to be courteous. I know I'm supposed to be uh, all of these things. I can do that every day. That's God's will. And then you think through the other things and you use wisdom on the other things. But uh, Jesus said, listen, to these cultural leaders who happen to be the religious leaders of the day. He said, I'm telling you, you're not believing me, but I want you to know, believe God, and I do everything that God does, because I am God. Jesus' will and the Father's will did not clash. Jesus wasn't sitting around after traveling with his disciples, pull two or three of them aside, say, hey, can you guys keep a secret? Let's see, I hope God Father's not listening. But sometimes God the Father does some things that I, I, I kind of question. <laughs> and if I was up there in heaven casting my vote, I would do it a little different. Jesus never said that. Jesus the Son, Jesus the Father, Jesus the Holy Spirit, unified, perfectly unified. We said last week, Jesus never went rogue. Uh, the Father never had to do what maybe your father, and I know my father had to do, clean up some of my messes and say, well, your heart was right, son, but, uh, but you, you stepped your bounds. No, Jesus said to these leaders, he said, you aren't going to listen to me, but I'm telling you, I am doing what the Father does. I'm here with a purpose, and that's the heart of, of this. But he says, since you are not going to listen, since you're not going to trust and obey uh, and save yourself from a world of hurt, I'm going to give you these things. And he lists five in his dialogue that testify to who he is. This is good apologetics material, but it's even better for the Christian to be reassured. Uh, you're not just uh, leaping in, uh, taking a leap of faith somewhere, and you're, you're not just out there hoping against hope it's all right. Five things he pointed to, and we can even look at them in our day and for our lives to give us reassurance. I would say, don't be like these power-obsessed cultural leaders who wanted people to submit to them rather than following Jesus. And don't, not only don't be like them, but don't submit to them. There's a world that's going one way that's saying one thing, and then there's God who's saying most of the time, something different than the world is saying as they try to be God in your life. There's one God. That's the one we serve. The first thing that Jesus pointed to is the testimony of God's prophets. So you see verses 33 through 36. He's talking to them. He says, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He, John, John the Baptist, was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. And he goes on then to talk about his works, but he says, John the Baptist was here. John came. John was here. 
And what kinds of things did John say when John was here? Do you remember? He that comes after me is greater than me. I'm not worthy uh, to, to uh, untie his sandals. He said, uh, he, behold the Son of God that takes away the sin of the world. John said all of these things. And Jesus said, you leaders, you kind of liked John all right back when you thought maybe he could draw a crowd and talk about repentance and you could use him. Maybe you could co-opt. Remember, they're all out there. The whole people are coming. They're getting baptized. Not a Christian baptism, but a baptism to say we repent. And so Pharisees are hanging around. How can we use this to our advantage? How can we keep our grip on, on, on culture, on our people? Uh, and Jesus said, you were amused with him. You used him for a while. Different translations put it to different ways. But uh, our ESV here is a pretty good one where he says, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But that was it. As soon as John started pointing to Jesus and say, he's the one. I'm not he. Jesus is the one. Uh, John faded in their eyes. Didn't take him seriously when he began pointing to Jesus. And I would say that in this world today, most of today's non-Christians have all sorts of preaching available. Uh, it's not John the Baptist foretold in the Old Testament uh, as the one who's preparing the way, but, but John the Baptist abound. You can find solid preaching. You can find people to say, Jesus Christ is the Lord. It's all over the place. Uh, books, uh, you, you just can't hardly, hardly give it away. Run your dial down. Some are charlatans. Some are preaching the truth this very morning over the airwaves on TV, and they're talking about Jesus. It's there. You have people testifying to Jesus. It's not like, say, in communist China, where the Bible app is banned. They're working with Apple and, and others, and, and the, the Christians there can't get a Bible app like you can get a Bible app. You can get them here all the time. Uh, one of our elders was saying, man, I've been listening to the Bible. <laughs> uh, my, part of my routine, and they changed the Bible app up, and... Uh, and now I have to, to back up and, and somehow with his Bible reading, it was a couple extra steps. And I'm like, that's frustrating when you have a routine and you're ready to listen to the word in the morning and, and all that. But I said, you know, you can go to the ESV.org app and you can get the Bible read for free there. And you can have a guy named David Cochran Heath with a great voice read it. Or you can hit a button, you can have Kristen Getty read it with that Irish accent and she's good. And, and, and then there's a little thing that says, more readers coming. Uh, we have the Bible everywhere, everywhere. John the Baptist abound, people telling about Jesus and pointing to Jesus. Uh, they had John the Baptist. He says, you didn't receive him. We Christians, we've had so many. My mom and dad were a John the Baptist for me, telling about Jesus, reading the Bible stories. You have people to tell you about Jesus. Uh, the, the question is not, do you know the gospel? Have you not heard the gospel? Have you not been taught? The question is, what do you do when you hear the gospel? 
That's what he's saying to these guys. You had John the Baptist. Another thing that these leaders had were the works that Jesus himself did. They weren't paying so much attention to his words, though they were paying attention to get him, but his works. Look at this, verses 36, the last part of that that we touched on earlier. Um, He says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. The Old Testament days, the prophets did signs and wonders. And people looked at those prophets and they said, now I've got to listen to the words because those prophets can only be doing this from God. And the empowerment that Jesus gave them to, to, to perform these miracles. Uh, Elisha, we had, we, when we were in 2 Kings, looked at him raising people from the dead, those types of things. That was to get God's message out. Jesus came and did a lot of works. And it wasn't just to get God's message out. It was to have people see Jesus and say, you are the one. You are God. Only God can do this. He says, there are works. But what do we find later on? These cultural leaders of that day that controlled society, they looked at Jesus and they said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And they even saw the works, but their hearts were hardened. Us in our lives can see things, and we can say, um, like Bob and Nettie, we were were sitting there in their living room talking and saying, uh, there's really, uh, Christians understand, there's no such thing as coincidence. There's just a bunch of God incidences. Uh, No coincidence, God incidents. God does things, and you can still see him work. I've talked to several people, not every person that I've met, but I've talked to people and I've heard from people, and I've said, why did you decide to become a Christian? What what, what was the circumstances? And you know, it's always interesting to me, and I like to, I follow up on this one every time. They'll go, near-death experience, and God saved me. And they go, ooh, what was that all about? And I remember a man saying his brother was, speeding. They were up in Vermont, and, and all of a sudden that car is headed to the tree. He closed his eyes. He was a dead man. And somehow they didn't hit the tree, and they, they came and emerged from it. And he came back. He said, that could only be from God. That was, a, that was a miracle. And he gave his life to Christ, still living for Christ. Uh, the signs, the miracles, the things we see. I might have told you about a missionary in, that our church uh, supported back in Pensacola. Uh, went down and did. He was in Mexico. We took a group of teenagers down there, and it was a lot of, a lot of eye-opening good things. Well, he, before he, he was a Christian, he was a construction worker. He was up on the roof of a building, and they were putting some metal beams here or there or doing something, and that beam touched a live electrical wire, and he was declared clinically dead. And, you know, you hear sometimes about these stories of people that have a near-death experience and they see heaven. Um, he said, sad to say, mine wasn't that. He said, I was going to hell. He said, I was declared dead, but in my state, darkness was just coming and it terrified me. And somehow he lived. 
He's a missionary in Mexico. He's got a contraption for an arm that, that works and all that stuff. And he's, he's, his body bears the damage that God said and Jesus said, you people need to listen. If you're not going to listen to my words, which you're not, well, John the Baptist testified about me. The works that I do will test about, testify about me. And we can see in our own lives uh, here are John the Baptists that are out there telling the truth about God. And we can see God at work in our lives. The next thing that Jesus pointed out was a great one. God's word, the scriptures, uh, verses 37 through 39. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that witness about me. We have scriptures. If anyone needs to swear anything on a stack of Bibles, um, <laughs> I can get you. How big of a stack of Bibles do you want? We got Bibles, Bibles everywhere. We got stacks of Bibles in the in, in Sunday school rooms because people take them to study. We got stacks of Bibles at home. We got this translation, that translation. We got them. Uh, here, there, and everywhere. we got a stack of Bibles, and Bibles are prevalent. And in those Bibles is where we see who Jesus is. He says, the Bible talks about me. God has spoken through the scriptures from the beginning. Think about, he was talking to them. Their Bible in that day was what? What we call the Old Testament. New Testament hadn't been written. Well, they didn't see Jesus in the Old Testament. That's just the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus obviously said you can find him in the Old Testament because that's the Bible he was referring to. And just think about even what we know in the Old Testament. In fact, I was listening to a radio show, a podcast this week. And it was, uh, it was one of these old Presbyterian or whatever it's called. It's kind of interesting to hear. And they were asking people, not just how did you come to faith, but then even what were some doors and some ways that God helped you see the Reformed faith? But one guy said, he said, I grew up, and he said, I, I was in the Bible Belt. I was down in, in one of the Carolinas. I forget which one he was in. But he said, my parents uh, separated when I was young. We didn't go to church much, but, uh, you know, the Bible was around me. But then he said, I was going to this community college, and I was late to sign up, and all I had for a class uh, to take uh, was uh, that was left, and my mom said, just take it anyway, the Old Testament class. And he said, I was reading that Old Testament, and that professor, he said, this was an anomaly, kind of like one, a local, he said he was an Assembly of God guy who graduated from Princeton, who loved the Lord. And he said, that guy was getting us to read the Old Testament, the, the uh, critical theories about it, and explaining it, he said, but the one thing he made us do is read the Old Testament. And I got saved, he said. Um, Think about the Old Testament and think about the gospel in the Old Testament. The kids came in, you grabbed your children's worship folders, and you said, Genesis 3.15, Garden of Eden, I thought the pastor was preaching through John. Well, they don't have a children's worship folder to correspond with all of the dialogue, but I said, I know I'm going to talk about Genesis 3.15 this morning, so I just 
printed out that one for us. The first gospel. They call it, here's the, here's the theological phrase, the, um, I guess it's Greek, proto-euangelion. What does that mean? Pro, Proto-first-euangelion gospel. First time the gospel was ever given was when? Pop quiz, you don't have to answer. First time the gospel was ever given in the Bible. Maybe when Jesus was born, the angels heralded his birth? No. Well, maybe in Isaiah, or maybe it was kind of warming up to it and all those stories, and maybe around Malachi? No. The gospel was the very first time given way back in Genesis 3.15. Here's the fall. Here they are getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Here sin and death has entered the world. Animals lost their lives, we say, for the first time making skins for the people. No such thing as death. Nothing. And all of a sudden, they've sinned and they are ready for death. And right there in Genesis 3.15, just so I get it right, he's lining them up and he gets to the serpent. God does. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Talking about how Jesus would come. There would be redemption from that sad day. Moving on through Genesis. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. Make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that theme just sweeps through the Bible. Uh, the mountain, it all it flows upstream and all the nations come there and Jesus is there. You can see it throughout. You see in the stories in Genesis from the very start. Sneaky, wicked Jacob. Man, you wouldn't want to be a business partner with him. You wouldn't hardly want to be a brother with him, I don't think. Um, you wouldn't want to have much to do with Jacob. God saved him and made of him a great nation. And out of his son Judah, along the line, here comes Jesus. Think of moving through the books of, of the, the Old Testament. Think of Exodus. Think of the Passover. Think of what it means to have the blood on the doorposts of the door. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Is that not about Jesus? No, it's about Jesus. That's, yes, it is. Everything in Leviticus beautiful, wonderful, great book of the Bible that points to Jesus. The prophets, Isaiah, foretelling what's to come. Zechariah, every Palm Sunday we read Zechariah, we think about that. Jesus said, listen, you've got John the Baptist told you about me, the scriptures told, or my works told you about me, and the scriptures told you about me. We've got a Bible that tells about Jesus. Clearly, explicitly. If we say, well, those Old Testament people, it was kind of vague. It sure is not vague in the New Testament. Uh, old J.C. Ryle, who, whose books we've studied sometimes in some of our men's group, he would always say, if words mean anything, if words mean anything, well, if words mean anything, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, uh, what can that mean other than that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? can't mean anything else. 
we can twist it and try and make it and go vague and, and try and be all, all smart about it and, and throw a bunch of metaphors in there and all that. And all we're doing is, is, is just taking away from the clear words of Scripture. Just one more clear word of Scripture. We'll move to the next point. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 19. And I just picked two out of thousands. But listen to this one. Paul is writing to that church. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake died and was, who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. And listen, what can this mean except what, what I'm going to just say as I keep reading the scriptures? All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. We have the scriptures. We have John the Baptist. We have clear evidence that God is working in the world. What else do we have that testifies to Jesus? I mean, I want you to walk out of here saying, I believe Jesus. Man, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus anyway. I was a Christian, but now I am just so encouraged to be a Christian because all of these evidences, that's what I hope we do. Uh, that's the goal today, my goal. Um, we have the internal witness of those who receive Christ contrasted with the lack of that in those who are non-believers. Uh, there is something called an internal evidence, a witness, an inward call. Verses 42 through 44. And that says this. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. He's speaking to those leaders. I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Uh, to them, he's saying, uh, there's an internal evidence and you can tell that I'm telling the truth because you don't have it. Christians can say there's an internal evidence, and you can tell that Jesus is true because you have that. Two points here. First of all, this was a question to me. Verse 42. He says, you do not have the love of God within you. Is he saying, uh, God doesn't love you? Or you don't love people the way God should? What does he mean by you don't have the love of God within you. You don't love God, which is what I think it means looking at the text. You don't love God. Um, a lot of religious people don't love God, but it could be the other way. And I liked, I leaned on, on my buddy uh, John Calvin again, and he said, listen, he said, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, either way, okay, he said, this is Jesus' way of saying all religious feelings. He's saying, you're not thinking. You might be thinking religious argument with your head. But 
where is your heart and your love for it? I used to love baseball. To watch a baseball game. To get caught up in baseball. I was never any good. Told Caleb some stories this week about how I, I when I played, I, I swung at a pitch and I hit the ball. That was pretty good, except I hit it with my arm and broke my arm. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Um, loved baseball. Loved reading the sporting news. My brothers and I, baseball cards trading, and we'd play stratomatic baseball all night sometimes. Baseball, 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 baseball. Then I got caught up in a fantasy baseball league. Got to beat my brothers. Got to beat their friends. And you know what? <laughs> I stopped loving baseball. I just started trying to win the fantasy league. Um, these cultural leaders were religious people. They were religious people. They professed maybe a love for God, but there's obviously no love for God with all their religious knowledge. You can be very religious. You can know the ins and outs of it. You can talk Christianity and religion the same way that, that, that uh, baseball, uh, fantasy baseball players can talk that, but you can maybe do that without loving God. And Jesus is saying there's an internal thing. It's not religion. It's a relationship with God. Love God. And he says, you don't love God. But Christians then, if you are a Christian, and you know you love God. You know sometimes you displease him. You know sometimes you wish you could uh, say, hey, God, take five minutes here and let me, you know, whatever. We, we do that. But we love God when we're Christians. When we disappoint God, we come back to God. We confess and we say thank you. Uh, there is an internal evidence that speaks to the truth of Jesus Christ. And you can't argue that away or talk that away. Um, the other thing about the um, internal evidence, he says, listen, you guys, you're, you're supposed to know all about God, but uh, how about the deference we give to our cultural icons? How about the deference? Why does some rock star tell me what I have to think about God? Why a movie star who played some role, why do they have all the wisdom in the world? No, they're good actors. That's it. And maybe if they know God and know about God, I'll, I'll learn from them as somebody who's a fellow Christian. But I don't have to listen and pay attention to the people that think they're pulling the strings to tell me what to think about God. What did he say? He says, look, somebody comes to you. He says, uh, uh, I don't receive glory from the people, but I know that either you do not, but I know that you don't have the love of God within you. He says, I've come in my Father's name. You don't receive me. But if another comes in his own name, hey, you slap him on the back, you give him deference, hey, you preach the sermon this Sunday, oh, so-and-so, you quote him, you, you make a big deal out of him. Why? Because you don't want to give glory to God. You just want to give glory to other people, and then maybe they'll give it to you. And it's all this earthbound garbage, he said. And Jesus said, listen, there's something going on internally. We would have said a few decades ago down in the Bible Belt where Christianity prevailed in that time and in that space. Uh, I heard a lot of sermons back right around my college days about don't be a Sunday go-to-meeting Christian. Have you ever heard that phrase? 
Sunday go to meet and Christian, <laughs> just a Sunday go to meet and Christian, or a casual Christian. Uh, back in that time and that space, I don't even think it exists down there anymore, and it sure doesn't up here. But back there, you kind of had to have some kind of a Christianity, something or other. He's saying, listen, listen. There's an internal thing going on. And finally, the last witness, he says, is the witness of Moses on who they set their hope. Verses 45 through 47. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And I know what, there's at least one person saying, Pastor, you could have made this sermon shorter because that sounds an awful lot like the point about the scriptures because Moses was the scriptures. And so you could have made it four points instead of five. And I'm saying, yeah, could have, didn't. Here's why. Because when they talked about Moses, well, for one, here's why. Jesus talked about scriptures, then he talked about Moses. So he, he distinguished them, so I'm following in good footsteps. Uh, but um, also, when they were talking about Moses, they were talking about the religious trappings around Moses. They weren't just talking about what Moses wrote. They were talking about this tradition that had been built up and built up and built up and, and everything that, that, uh, that they started with the Bible and ended up with their own version of the truth. Culturally, they did a whole lot more with Moses or the law than the Bible did with the law. Whole customs and traditions evolving around the scripture, like weeds that choke out the beauty of the flowers and hide the nutrition of the vegetables. So out on the farm in Iowa, and uh, not going to be too hard on my cousin. You know, these cousins, cousins just have cousins, and it's not, it left no lasting scar on my life. It's just a funny story to tell. I'm a little kid, older cousin, but some of the older cousins kind of give them a wink. I go over there because they call me over there. And there's some weeds that grow in Iowa that are, di I, I don't think I've seen them here. I would say I haven't, I would say I haven't pulled any out of my garden. But, but my wife would say, you haven't pulled any weeds out of your garden. Um, but I haven't seen these in my garden. I haven't seen them around. But there was a weed that grows, and it kind of turns into, it's, it's not like a dandelion that they, little puffs of cotton that go, but little seeds. And he put, a, he put that stem in my mouth. I bit down on it. And then he pulled that stem, and all those seeds then shred it off into my mouth. And all the other cousins are laughing at me. And I'm spitting those seeds out and everything. Um, that wasn't very nice. It was okay. See him these days, I'm going to say, go Hawkeyes. Um, in that same garden, as I got older and we got transferred out there and we lived in that old farmhouse, my grandparents moved to town, we had to be in western Iowa for a year, um, I'd get hungry sometimes. Say, Mom, what is there to eat? Nothing to eat here, nothing to eat here, nothing to eat here. She'd say, go out in the garden, cut some of that asparagus. Come in, and I would go out to the garden for a snack, and and all this asparagus that was growing, just cut it off and and, and put some butter. I mean, it was great. Moses, what did these guys do with Moses? What were they doing to their people? Garden, there's a plot, there's things growing there, and they 
instead of the good truth of Jesus Christ and who he is, that good asparagus, if you like asparagus, uh, they're calling all their people over and they're playing games with them and pulling weeds into their mouth and they're doing those things. And the difference is they're eating the weeds too because they're as lost as lost can be. And he says, listen, you want to get into Moses or the law, the law is good. The law is good. Read Psalm 119 and see if the law is not good. It's good. It depends on what you do with it. And they were doing bad things with it. But he says, even the law, even that points to me. Jesus is telling them that they need to cut through the tradition to get to the truth. And it is all about Jesus. I'm going to read this because I don't want to say it wrong or anything. Uh, I'll read it as I wrote it. Our cultural, our cultural arbiters, our modern-day Pharisees are also not so close to the Bible. They may start with a biblical principle such as be a good steward of creation, but it quickly devolves into lies, distortions, power-mongering, and control. It's a way for them to get rich and manipulate the masses. Good principle. Take care of what God's given you. He's given you a piece of land. Take care of it. He's given you an earth. Take care of it. That's fine. But what do they do? Twist, distort, lie, use. Uh, get so far away from the original. Uh, do ungodly things in the name of, of their God. Our cultural Pharisees may start with a biblical principle such as the golden rule. But that eternal truth uttered by Jesus quickly gets lost in the weeds as people are incited to hate others based on race, sex, or economic status. And what starts as good equality turns out to be wicked and terrible and hatred. We can't go along with that as Christians. What we have from our 21st century Pharisees is like that old song, go ahead and hate your neighbor. Go ahead and cheat a friend. Do it in the name of your own warped vision of earthly utopia, and you can justify it in the end. And we as Christians have got to get back to what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Who are we as Christians walking in this earth where we are called to be? It's the person and work of Christ, and that's the only way any of us please God. The work of Christ his death on the cross on our behalf, the person of Christ. Why, why did that matter? Uh, they hung a lot of people on crosses. In fact, if I read my Bible correctly and remember, there were two others hanged on that same place in that same day, probably some all around. What was different about Jesus on the cross? Well, Jesus on the cross is he's the perfect God-man who lived a perfect life. And his, uh, there was more going on than just some Roman soldiers killing him. There was the wrath of the Father poured down on him on behalf of all the people he came to save. And that's the difference. So, application, and we go to the table. Jesus, in this day, in, in this incident, in this text that we looked at, was talking to non-Christian leaders, cultural arbiters of the gospel, or of, 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 the, of the culture, the ones who influenced that. They weren't Christians. But is there something for the Christian today? Yes, there is. Real quick, summary. One, the many John the Baptist who've pointed to Jesus as your true hope. Be encouraged by that. 
come to church each week uh, and you hear the gospel. You go to your church. It's not going to be this church making another church, but hear the gospel. You get to hear that every week, a review of who Jesus is and what he did. Secondly, be encouraged about the work of God in those in the world. Those God incidences uh, that point you to Jesus, unexplainable. Uh, the neighbors who just happened to buy that house, who happened to be loving and godly and Christians, and you get to be reminded of what it means to be a Christian, uh, God using them in, in your life, and then maybe God turning around and using you in their life. Uh, that's God. That's not random. Three, the scriptures that testify about Jesus. It really is worth your time to read scripture and listen to it being read. It really is a good investment of the, the tick, 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 tock uh, that's going to run out someday for you. You want to figure out how to invest that wisely? Say, I'm going to invest my time reading the Bible a little bit more, listening to it a little bit more, thinking about it a little bit more. That's a good way to spend your limited time. Fourth, the changed lives. Be encouraged at your own changed life. If I said be encouraged at your perfect life, you'd say, you're lying because I don't have a perfect life, and you know it, and I don't either. But think about the changes that God is making and has made in your life since you gave your life to him. Think of growth. And then be encouraged that even the residue of our fallen culture still has elements that point to Jesus as Redeemer. Still there. Still something there. You can see Jesus even in, in the grand narrative. People try to, to, to go anti-God, but they can't, almost sometimes can't help it when they write their stories and make their movies. Jesus has all these people and things pointing to him. And then he points to you and he says, I love you. Keep following me all the way to heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for Jesus and his dialogue with these uh, leaders. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's work in, in uh, breathing out these words and, and uh, John writing them, but knowing that they come from you through your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that we can look at this and be encouraged. Thank you for all the many, many evidences, things that weren't in this text that, that we know uh, point to, to, to you, God, and, and point to Jesus, your son, as our hope. It's in his name we pray. Amen.